December 2017. Nadia Atwi's vehicle is discovered wedged into some bushes at a park near her home. Just want to tell her that I love her. Come back today. I would forget about what happened. But Nadia is never seen again. If I go back, I would react differently, but I didn't know. The next call, the case of Nadia Atwi, available now on the CBC Listen app and everywhere you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So for over two years, the whole world's been fighting a battle against COVID-19. And no country's been left untouched, except North Korea. Or at least, that's what they said. Until last month, when the regime finally acknowledged that there was an outbreak in the country. According to the Korean Central News Agency, the state's most serious emergency has occurred. A break was made on our emergency epidemic prevention front that had been firmly defended until now. They've since reported millions of cases of people with, quote, fever symptoms, pretty much all they can report since it's believed that there aren't any test kits in the country. Last week, state media said Kim Jong-un and other top officials had reviewed the situation and things were improving. But health experts outside the country are really skeptical. In the capital, North Korea has not started mass vaccinations and has limited testing capabilities. Many experts are concerned it may be difficult to assess how widely and rapidly the disease is spreading. The problem is, it's extremely hard to know what's actually going on inside North Korea. Independent information, journalistic or otherwise, is thin, so people have to read between the lines of regime statements. And the worry is that things are much worse than they're letting on. North Korea has been under severe sanctions since 2006, as the UN Security Council has been trying to rein in its nuclear and ballistic missiles program. It's poor, it has a weak healthcare system, and a food security crisis. Experts suspect that things will have only gotten worse during the pandemic. So what's actually happening there right now? Is the situation already out of control and we just don't know about it? And how are North Koreans coping? My guest is Jongmin Kim. She's a lead correspondent for NK News based in Seoul. She covers North and South Korea and the defense and humanitarian affairs inside one of the most secretive countries in the world. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. Hi, Jongmin. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. So Jongmin, what do we know about the state of the pandemic in North Korea as of right now in terms of the actual numbers? Well, in terms of numbers, uh, the data is pretty new. Just earlier this month, more specifically on May 12th, they started reporting on the actual COVID-19 Omicron variant outbreak. There are two different sets of numbers. There are fever cases and fever deaths. And there are COVID cases and COVID deaths. Right now, as of June 7th, it's above 4 million fever cases and above 70 fever deaths. But they are only reporting on COVID cases as more than 160 COVID cases and just one COVID death. 
Oh, that's interesting. Why are there the two different figures and why is there a fever number and a COVID number? Right. So for the audience who is not familiar with how the North Korean regime propaganda works, the general rule of thumb is we cannot double check any numbers coming out of the North Korean regime as reporters. So it's tea leaf reading whatever I'm interpreting here. Mm-hmm. But if we consider the likely lack of medical equipment and medical goods in North Korea since the border closed and also just the chronic lack of everything in North Korea, including the hospital facilities, testing facilities, it seems like the reason why they are tracking COVID as fever case is because they lack the test kit. It's difficult for them to track and test the people who have symptoms. So when we think about the Omicron, we sometimes do not have symptoms. Those numbers are likely not included into the fever cases. The COVID cases would be only a very small fracture of the people who have actually shown the symptom who were able to be tested from the authorities. Right. So there is no way to really get a sense of how bad things are there because they don't have test kits. They're relying on symptomatic screening and Omicron is often asymptomatic. And because what they're really reporting is the number of cases of fever. I mean, how do we know whatever we do know about North Korea, aside from the official numbers reported by the government? Well, just in general, in the past, when the borders were still open, there were humanitarian workers regularly going into North Korea and based in North Korea. These people were eyes and ears of the outside country for a very long time. And some of them were able to go to non-Pyongyang areas where the infrastructure is the situation is more dire. So we do know what medical infrastructure is like in North Korea, although that information is kind of dated for about two years. But still, we do understand that North Korea is not one of the best countries who have the best medical facilities in the world because um, although they claim that they are doing these uh, free healthcare system as a socialist country, they still lack the infrastructure. So you've been covering this from the beginning. Could you take me back to 2020? Like, what kind of approach did North Korea take when the world first found out about COVID? What what did they do? How did they react? At first, in early 2020, in January, we heard from sources who regularly went into North Korea, such as the travel industry, the tourism industry, that they are blocked now. So that's when we started thinking, oh, something's something's going on. And then shortly afterwards, we relied on sources in North Korea to uh, report on just small hints of what's going on, such as residents not being allowed to leave certain compound, new restrictions in Pyongyang, temperature checks in Pyongyang. They were actually quite transparent about the fact that the world is battling COVID-19. Rodong Shinmun, which is a state party-run newspaper in North Korea where they provide news to the domestic audience. There is usually a small international section where they curate the news that's coming from outside the country that the North Korean regime wants its people to read about. And usually it's about the bad things in the outside world, such as the accidents in other countries, natural disasters in other countries, murder cases, and COVID was one part of it. 
So they reported on COVID-19 as something that the outside world was battling. And if you go back a little bit, in one of the military parade speeches, there was a moment when Kim Jong-un looked like he was tearing up a little bit. Kim Jong-un was thanking his people for not contracting any COVID-19 and making the country zero COVID place in the world. They used it as an opportunity to portray North Korea as one of the most perfect countries in the world. Could you elaborate a bit on the kind of restrictions that they put on people? How did they go about protecting the country from the virus? I think their priority was border closure. There is a market, Changmadang, in North Korea, and there are former trade and informal trade. And when it comes to informal trade, it relies on smugglers who goes back and forth between North Korea and China. So usually the, the Sino-DPRK border is very, very, very busy. Mm-hmm. But they lock that down. They sent the military units there to make sure that no one is going out and no one is coming in. And they installed a buffer zone measure of around one or two kilometers near the border, allowing the soldiers to do a shoot to kill when they see anybody who crosses without approval. And that was actually very much related to one of the worst incidents that happened under the previous Moon Jae-in administration in South Korea. A South Korea Ministry of Fisheries official somehow ended up in North Korean waters at one point. A South Korean official who went missing this week was questioned by North Korean troops, shot dead and cremated, according to the South's military. The North Korean side of the story is that they asked a man for identification and he he did not really clarify who he was, although he said that he was a South Korean. They fired at the man, 10 rounds of fire. The military said the unidentified man appeared to have been questioned on a North Korean boat before he was executed on an order from a superior authority. When it seemed like the man was dead, there was a floating material, it seems, that the man was on. And the North Korean side explained that they put it on fire and burned it to ashes per their COVID-19 regulations. Yeah, wow. That's very extreme. So they were basically willing to shoot to kill to prevent COVID from getting into the country. Why do you think they were willing to go to those lengths? I think they knew that it will be very difficult for them to handle the treatment side of it. So their priority was closing down the borders rather than thinking about the treatment side of it. There's one more thing. COVID-19 was actually a very convenient pretense for the North Korean leadership to strengthen the internal security in North Korea. There has been reports for a while that the regime was trying to curtail and track and limit the influence of foreign culture into North Korea. I think this is actually very helpful for the North Korean regime to do what it will always wanted to do, get the foreigners out of the country, not letting them in anymore, and then limiting the uh, flow of information uh, from the outside world to the domestic public. So has that been the case for the last two years, these like very strict border restrictions, minimal trade, or had things kind of changed in the lead up to this outbreak? 
after the border closure, the trade was almost zero at first. We saw a very extreme drop of North Korea, China, and North Korea Russia trade,、mm-hmm. which is basically most of North Korea's trade dependency. But as time passed by, we slowly saw a little bit of a increase, but very, very gradual, very small. Earlier this year, in 2022, we also saw that the border train between North Korea and China resumed.、Mm-hmm. So there were regular trains going back and forth between the two countries. But at one point, they stopped again, and then shortly afterwards, we saw the official reporting of Omicron variant in North Korea. My name is Ian Urbina. I've reported on some pretty mind-blowing stories, but nothing like what happens at sea. If they got within 800 meters, that is when we would fire warning shots. Murder, slavery, human trafficking, and staggering environmental crimes. Men have told me that they've been beaten with stingray tails, with chains. If you really want to understand crime, start where the law of the land ends: the outlaw ocean. Available now on CBC Listen and everywhere you get your podcasts. Do you think it's actually possible that there have been no COVID cases in North Korea up until now? I don't think so. Even when they install a very strict buffer zone, there will always be smuggler cases that go back and forth between North Korea and China. So there were unverified reports from、uh, outlets such as Daily NK that cites anonymous sources in North Korea that said. That there were unverified COVID-like symptom cases in the border area. There were a lot of reports about fever outbreaks or people getting sick in a certain city, and the residents didn't really know if it was COVID, but they suspected it was COVID. So I don't think there were zero COVID in North Korea, but I think what's important is that North Korea decided to report on it. After they saw a case in Pyongyang, Pyongyang is where the leader is, and leader safety is a top national security in North Korea. And also, people in Pyongyang are elites, so these are the most important constituency for the North Korean leader Kim Jong Un when it comes to their well-being and safety.、Mm-hmm. So, although I do not believe that there was no COVID at all for the past two years, the collective COVID or fever cases in Pyongyang, I think it's new. And so, what are the theories behind how this latest outbreak—the one that they started reporting on May twelfth—how、um, it began? So, I think it's two parts. One is how did it go in into North Korea?、Uh, it's very difficult to track. It could have been smugglers. It could have been related to the resumed、uh, China North Korea border train that I just talked about. And the second part is how did it get to Pyongyang? One of the top theories when it comes to how it transmitted into the capital area, I think I think the highest possibility is the April twenty fifth military parade. Experts suspect that the outbreak was caused by large events held in April by Kim himself, with fireworks and a procession in the capital's main square to celebrate the hundred and tenth birthday of his late grandfather and DPRK founder Kim Il Sung. They held. A massive event with a lot of them non-wearing masks, 
And when I was covering the military parade, I could see the military units that are not based in Pyongyang. So they probably came from other regions. So they traveled within the country. And there were not just soldiers, but also the participants. And then when we see the state media reporting recently, they do not specify the date. But when they're gathering the data and releasing the numbers, they say that the starting point of the aggregation of the number is late April. So I think that's very much in line with the April 25th military parade. When we had the Omicron wave here, and I'm based in Canada, and I think this is true for much of the rest of the world, it didn't hit as hard because obviously the disease was milder, but also because a significant chunk of the population was already vaccinated. But North Korea has refused millions of vaccine doses from China, from COVAX. Last year, Pyongyang turned down nearly 2 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. It even refused to receive nearly 3 million doses of the Sinovac vaccines. Nearly 250,000 doses were allocated for North Korea by COVAX, but it got no response from Pyongyang. So the shipment was cancelled. Why didn't they take the vaccines? Why they did not take the vaccines? I'm also curious, but um, when we think about North Koreans' decisions, we have to think of it from the North Korean leader's perspective. It's a hereditary authoritarian regime where the regime's stability is the top priority rather than the people's safety. So when it comes to bilateral COVID-19 aid, although these countries like South Korea continues to say that humanitarian issue is not linked to political issues, the reality is not like that. If they provide the vaccine, they are usually thinking that this could maybe open up the dialogue with North Korea again. So North Korea doesn't want that right now. Mm-hmm. Second of all, about COVAX. When I talk to people who are involved with the vaccine provision negotiation with North Korea, it seemed like North Korea's concerns with the vaccine side effect was quite real. They do read international news. They read South Korean news. And in South Korea, there were a lot of articles about the side effects of the vaccines. Mm. And because North Korea does not have the capacity to handle mass side effects from something like a vaccine, it seemed like they were being extra careful with what to take in. And with Sinovac, that's very interesting because it's China, their only blood ally, and China's Sinovac was pledged, and North Korea said, oh, we will yield that to other countries that need it more. That's their polite way of saying, no, we don't want this type of vaccine. So they didn't want Sinovac, and they didn't want AstraZeneca, which is the vaccine that COVAX was offering, right? Right, but now it seems like they are willing to take in the Sinovac. Over the weekend, we heard that Gavi was saying that they understand that North Korea started administering doses. Chinese vaccine doses to North Korea. So that's quite new, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure what changed their mind, but they were for the past two years. They were very careful about what kind of vaccines that they can take in. Just to sort of recap what we've talked about so far, it sounds like North Korea decided to announce this outbreak and start providing public updates daily because it had reached Pyongyang, which is where the elites live, And that kind of indicates how serious the situation is. What has been the government's actual response to the outbreak? 
we're thinking that maybe now they've started vaccinating people, but what else have they done in response, how they've been um, handling it? Well, since the outbreak, we saw that they uh, put a lot of effort into the pharmaceutical side of the country. For example, Kim Jong-un visited wearing two masks. He never used masks before on public appearance. He, he wore two masks, visited one of the pharmacies, and ordered his officials to make sure that there is a 24-7 pharmacy system available across the country. When they go to the hospital, the doctors prescribe the medicine, but because the pharmacy is not present in all the regions, usually what the people have to do is they have to go to the market and try to get those medicine via traders, the smugglers, the mm-hmm. people who are on the market. So maybe Kim Jong-un did realize that this is a problem, that people lack the medicine. And then they also put a lot of effort into daily reporting and to inform the citizens of what to do when they have symptoms, how to survive a quarantine, Wash your hands. Think of happy things. Suspected to be sick. And the equivalent of Dr. Fauci gives daily updates. We are aggressively broadcasting informative programs as residents want to know about this epidemic disease clinical course in medicine treatment. And then lockdown. And the lockdowns, from what I've read, they've been pretty strict. Prevention system. It includes a national lockdown, with shops, restaurants, markets, and schools reportedly closed. But as always, it's hard to know exactly what the picture is and the differences between the cities and the countryside. When it comes to lockdown, we also heard from sources that life is resuming in Pyongyang. But from satellite imagery, we do not see significant changes in outside Pyongyang area. But traffic returned to Pyongyang now. The other thing I saw was that because there's so little access to antiviral drugs, people are being advised to try alternative remedies like drinking herbal teas, gargling salt water and things like that. I disinfected the room with alcohol, burnt the plant mugwort and circulated air. I think it can be treated like a regular cold. That actually we saw throughout the entire two years. When they talk about respiratory symptoms, they refer to home remedies like the ginseng tea, the honey tea, opening the windows. And there's also something called koryoya, koryo medicine, which is something like non-Western medical advices. And it all seems like it's, it's North Korean way of telling the citizens how to get through this when they do not have full access to what the outside world can actually have. I wonder if you have a sense of what life has actually been like for North Koreans under lockdown. I've never been able to talk to ordinary North Koreans since the outbreak especially, so I do not know. But from the accounts of the foreign population who were in North Korea before the exodus, the lockdown is very severe. It's very different from other countries. The security is very, very strict, especially in Pyongyang. And it will be very difficult for them if they're going through a lockdown, if they cannot go to the market, if the markets are closed, they cannot have the medicines they need. I can imagine that they're going through immense difficulties and with no willingness for the North Korean regime to take international support. The economic cost to the country 
is unknown. Due to COVID, food shortages and economic crisis might deteriorate in North Korea. In order to prevent that, they are conducting food rationing measures. So North Korea... The ordinary North Korean people, this will be a very concerning situation for them, especially for the people who are having symptoms. People in North Korea, they knew the existence of vaccines. Although the North Korean state media has been stressing that vaccines are not an antidote to preventing COVID-19, and they have been reporting a lot on the inefficacy of vaccines in the past two years, they do know that vaccines are the way to prevent the virus to a certain extent. And not seeing the vaccines, to some people, it would be confusing. I was doing a little bit of reading, and another thing that kept coming up is the level of malnutrition among mm. the population. But the population of North Korea is vulnerable. 40% are undernourished, and nobody is known to be vaccinated. And how that might be factoring into the severity of this crisis. And I wonder if you can right. talk about that a little bit. The malnutrition situation has been bad in North Korea. Kim Jong-un himself also admitted, I think a year ago or something, that there was a food crisis going on in North Korea. Since the international organizations left North Korea, we don't have the updated data to see how malnutrition has been worsening or improving in North Korea since COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So that's a big black box, actually. What's interesting is that compared to other countries, the rate of the death cases in North Korea. Actually, a lot of them are younger generation, children, hmm. children and teenagers. In other countries, these populations have a better immunity system compared to the old generation. And I think it says something about the potential link between malnutrition and severity of COVID cases in North Korea. Is North Korea getting any kind of help from outside the country right now? There has been sanctions exemptions. There were a lot of humanitarian organizations who got the exemptions to send it COVID-19 test kits, hazmat suits, medical equipment, uh, medical goods, and also food as well. But we understand that no big bulk has went into North Korea since 2020 March. And from unverified reports, we see that Chinese helping hand is working to some extent. But when it comes to other countries and other international organizations, I don't think there's a significant amount going into North Korea to help the people. So now they're saying that things are improving. I've seen that international organizations like the WHO are skeptical about this. How much do you believe that the situation's improving, like the government is claiming, and why would they be lifting restrictions as cases are still spreading? I think they do have a certain amount of confidence when it comes to at least lockdown measures. The country can mobilize its soldiers like no any country can do. If they want to lock down a city, they can do that. Mm -hmm. And if they are confident that no population for the past few weeks have been entering Pyongyang, I think they may feel confident, at least in Pyongyang, that they are handling it well. Circling back to what I said before, it also may come from the lack of test kit. But because of the lack of test kit, the COVID-19 cases are maybe not increasing. But from the propaganda point of view, just reporting on these numbers is actually beneficial for them because it paints a picture 
of a very successful anti-COVID-19 measures that's done by the leadership. What do you think North Korea needs to do at this point to get the COVID situation under control? So if I were to advise on the phone Kim Jong-un, yeah. um, I would very much love to do that. I would, If I had one wish, I would call Kim Yo-jong, North Korean leader's sister, and to talk some sense into Kim Jong-un that they do have to take in the aid. I know that from the North Korean regime's perspective, it's fine not to vaccinate the entire population and just wait for the pandemic to ease out in the other side of the world. But that means that the trade will remain very low. And actually, to twist that question a little bit, what should the international community do to push North Korea to take in these aids? I think they should do it off the record. Mm-hmm. I think the problem with the aid, especially with South Korea, I'm a South Korean citizen, I'm, I'm always very concerned when the government does this. They use the provision of aid politically. I think it's a big problem. If they do that, North Koreans would not take them mm-hmm. because it's not face-saving. It's very embarrassing for a, a country that claims to be a perfect socialist country to ask for help. So. If the authorities of countries like South Korea and the U.S. are actually very serious about the well-being of the ordinary North Korean people, they should try to do a backdoor dialogue, talking to the North Korean authorities of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs or Ministry of Health, and try to get in whatever they can without publicizing it as the achievement of the government. That, uh, from North Korean's point of view, helps only the other country like South Korea and the U.S., and they will not allow it. This exodus of foreigners that happened at the beginning of the pandemic, it kind of means that we probably won't know the full impact of COVID on North Korea for a long time, right? First of all, yes, we would not be able to know until the international organizations are allowed back in. But that will be years until then. And even when they go in, it will be very difficult to track the actual case numbers. We don't know, but it may not be able to compare it like one-on-one to other countries where they have an ongoing trade dependency, they still have incoming international flights and so on and so forth. It will be very different. But still, like you said, it will be years until we actually know what actually happened. Jongmin, thank you so much for this conversation. It was really, really fascinating. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that's all for this week. You've been listening to Nothing is Foreign. Our sound designer this week is Evan Kelly. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta. And our showrunner is Adrian Chung. This episode was produced by Adrian Chung and Ashley Mack. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Willow Smith is our senior producer and Nick McCabe-Locos is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. If you like this episode and you want to help new listeners find the show, please take a second to rate and review us wherever you're listening. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you back here next week.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.